I'll invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn with me to the book of Ruth this morning. The book of Ruth, we return to our study of this little book, a book that uh, we began uh, last week. Many of you were here for that. We looked at just the seven, the first seven verses of uh, the book of Ruth, and today we pick up uh, the story where we left off, but uh, just to keep us uh, in the know of what the flow of the story is, I'm actually going to read the verses that we talked about last week as well, and read verses 1 through 22, so that would be the entirety of chapter 1, and I invite you to follow along, as is our custom and tradition here at Ascension, if you would stand for the reading of God's word with me and follow along. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband." Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, may Yahweh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May Yahweh grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Run after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you. Or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went. They went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. If I said this phrase to you, we will never be the same. I will never be the same. That has changed me forever. You hear that from me, if you hear someone say that these days, what do you think of? You probably think of the year 2020. Maybe you think of COVID-19 and the impact that it has had on our society, on the way we do things, on the way we think about things. Beyond our collective experience as, as a people, as a culture, perhaps that, that phrase, we'll never be the same, is part of your story. Your individual journey in life. Marking whatever unique period in your life that might be. You see, in all of our lives, collectively and individually, there are certain events, there are certain things that happen that are, we might say, they're paradigm shifting. They fundamentally change who we are, how we think about certain things, how we act in certain ways. For you, maybe it's a a diagnosis a fractured relationship, the death of a loved one, an unexpected layoff, forcing an unplanned move. I think it goes without saying that for Naomi, the events that we just read were definitive. They changed her world forever. For us sitting here this morning, it's just, it's just four minutes of a written account. But for, for Naomi, this was a span of, of years. Some of these years were very painful years for her. Like another story that is so familiar with, with many of us, the story of Job, no one in this room would, would wish these kind of circumstances, these kind of circumstances that Naomi experienced to fall on anyone. And yet in God's mysterious and always perfect providence, this is Naomi's story. She'll never be the same. And it's here for us, preserved for us. Remember, I said this last week about Naomi and her family. Naomi is not some superwoman. She is actually a very ordinary woman. Very ordinary, much like us. And so the pain of her experiences, 
though, though unique, are in some ways relatable to us. To, the, to those of us who have experienced some, some sort of dark providence in our lives, whatever that may be. And so I think as we come to her story, as we jump back into this story, we, we can learn from her. We can learn both good and bad. But even more than that, I want us to be reminded, of course, of what God is doing here. Because this is his story. He is the one at work. Two realities for us to consider for the next few minutes. And the first one we see lived out for us in the life of Naomi. And it's this. Faith is hard in the valleys of life. Faith is hard in the valleys of life. And perhaps you're sitting there thinking, yeah, duh, Nate, you don't really need to tell me that. I know that faith is hard. Maybe you're in a valley right now, but I think sometimes we in the church, at least in the greater church, we think that we, we ought to not have despair as Christians. We think that our lives ought never be a struggle of faith. We, we put on our Sunday clothes. We put on our Sunday faces. We come in here. But as I spoke about last week, life is not always green pastures, right? It's not always, as the, the Christian radio station says, encouraging words and positive music. They need to play more laments on Christian radio. Life is full of valleys. Life is sometimes a barren wilderness. And it is because in God's providence, sometimes it needs to be. And in the midst of those valleys, there's not always steadfast faith and perspective. No, often there is vocal frustration. There is lament. And the Psalter is full of it. Psalm 60, verses 1 through 3, we hear this corporate cry. Oh God, you have rejected us. You've broken down our defenses. You've been angry. Restore us. You've made the land to quake. You've torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that has made us stagger. And then individually, Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire when there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. That's a struggle of faith. This is at times the experience of God's people. This is the experience of Naomi. This is, this is her struggle. These are circumstances that we read, they have changed her, yes, but she is far from complete. She's struggling. Like we struggle at times. And so I want to look at her story. I want to learn from her story. Let's jump back in. After years and years of being in a foreign land, 
Naomi has decided to return home. Remember, we thought about that and and talked about that last week. God had visited his people and she had heard about it. God had not abandoned his people and so she returned to the land of promise. The land that she and her husband and sons had left for greener pastures. Maybe maybe Naomi felt this was the case all along. Maybe she was just following her husband's leading. We don't know. What we do know is that she now recognized that the hand of God was in her circumstances. And we see this in her return to the land of promise. We also see this in her prayer that we find here this morning in the verses that I just read. These, these women have all lost their husbands. And in ancient Near East culture, that put them in a very vulnerable place. Yahweh knew this, and so he put pr- special provisions in his law to protect those who needed protection. And so from an earthly standpoint, these women needed a man. So Naomi encourages them to return home to the land, uh, to the home of their mothers because she believes that that's where their future is. And she even prays for them and she prays to Yahweh, to her God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And notice she doesn't pray to the God of the Moabites, but to the God of her ancestors, the one who has returned with favor upon her homeland. She prays that the Lord would deal kindly to Ruth and to Orpah as they return, that He would give them rest, that He would give them a future through husbands. And she even uses this this great word that we've talked about multiple times, this word hesed. It's a beautiful Hebrew word that God uses to denote the covenant faithfulness that He has for His people. We often hear it translated in the Psalms as as steadfast love. You see, it seems, at least at first, that Naomi has things in perspective. Or does she? Faith is hard in the valleys of life. See, what I want you to see this morning is that Naomi is struggling to process all that has happened to her. She's been through a lot. But in these circumstances, I think we see her lose perspective. We see her struggle in her faith. First, there is this this seeming hopelessness that she exhibits. We aren't told why, but she doesn't want her daughters to return with her. And on the surface, her encouragement for them to go home to their mothers, it sounds good, right? Because that's where their futures lie. She desires and prays rest for them. But where does she want rest for them? Not in the place where Yahweh, the Lord, has visited. Not in the land of promise with with God's people, with His Word, not in the place of the Lord's presence, ultimately not where true rest is found at all. 
They need a future, no doubt. And of course, Moab is, is home. It's what's familiar to them. But what about their spiritual futures? I mean, contrast Naomi's encouragement to her daughters-in-law with Moses in Numbers 10. A whole different story. But Numbers 10, 29, listen, he says, and Moses says to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, notice, a a non-Israelite, Moses says to Hobab, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us, and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to Israel. And that's not what Naomi says. She says, go on. Now perhaps she didn't want them to return because their presence would be a constant reminder of a painful period in their life. Whatever the reason, Naomi's response seems to be a response of hopelessness, not a response of of vibrant faith. Instead, in verse 15, when Orpah leaves, she encourages, she is going back to her gods. You go too. And we say, you're encouraging her to go back to her gods? The god of Kamash, the the false Moabite idol to whom children were sacrificed in Moab, that's where you want her to go instead of to the land of promise, the land of Yahweh. There's no doubt Naomi is, is caught in a difficult position. It's true, she can't provide husbands and a future for them. She's Even too old, she says, to produce future sons for them to marry. Things look bleak. But notice her prayer for them is not boldness in the face of what stands before her family. It's resignation to pursue rest in all the other ways that she thinks she can accomplish rest for them. And so, yes, she speaks of the Lord, but she does so in despair. Instead of praying for what only the Lord can do, and instead of encouraging her daughters to focus on the one true God, instead of trusting what He might do for them in the face of such bleakness, she lets the despair of her circumstances cloud her faith. And we don't blame her. How hard it is for us to keep perspective. We who have faced nothing of this kind of tragedy, at least not most of us. And so there's this hopelessness that Naomi exhibits, but that's not all. There's also this bitterness. It shows up in verse 13. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I mean, sure, Naomi acknowledges that God is, is sovereign, but he seems, it seems to her that God's sovereignty is in, the, is, is in the cosmic policeman sense, that he's just waiting, waiting to catch her doing something wrong so that he can pounce on her and he can punish her. And this bitterness continues in verses 20 and 21. Do not call me Naomi, for call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
You see, Naomi is exhibiting that faith is a struggle, that faith is hard in the valleys of life. This isn't the happy return that it should be. This is difficult circumstances bringing one to essentially accusing God of botching up my life. Naomi knew the Lord. She knew that he had visited. She returned to the place of visitation, and yet her heart was still struggling. She had allowed the unknown and the lack of control to create bitterness in her. You see, this is Naomi's story. But it's also ours at times. How easily and how often we can act like God is out to get us. So what are we to do? How are we to handle this this struggle of faith? Well, I think we begin by praying for the grace to not let our circumstances dictate our hearts. And instead, we, we strive to cling to what we know is true. I mean, going back to those psalms that I quoted earlier, the corporate lament and the individual lament, Psalm 60, verse 12, the corporate lament, God's people says, with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. And at the end of the individual lament in Psalm 69, 13, the psalmist says, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Yahweh. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. You see, both these honest cries of a struggling faith, a faith that at times seemed Hopeless, and, and maybe a faith that even at times seemed to lend itself towards bitterness. These both resolve with the only place they can turn to the God of grace. And that brings us to the, the final truth that I want us to close with not just that faith is hard in the valleys of life, but when we're stuck in a valley, always remember there is more than you can see. When you're stuck in a valley, remember there is always more than you can see. Right? That's the nature of valleys. The nature of valleys is that, is that our vision is limited. I remember driving this past summer on a road trip with my family and driving through some of these canyons with these steep, these steep walls on either side. It was just like a river and a road and then, and then steep inclines on both sides and there were these houses in there and I was just thinking about these people. They only get the sunlight from like 11 to 2 and then the rest of the time it's all shadow, it's all Darkness, how limited their vision, how limited their exposure to the, to the beauty and to the warmth of the sun. 
In our story, instead of trusting in the God who visits his people, the God who faithfully provides for his people, Naomi, in the midst of her storm, she, she loses her way, at least for a bit. She gets lost in her circumstances, and she seems to miss the grace all around her. Her vision is limited by the valley that she's in. I mean, granted, she, possibly, she couldn't possibly have seen it all, but some of it was in plain sight. I mean, she declares herself as empty, and we say, empty, really? What about your life? Those around you have all died, and yet you, you live. What about your home after years of being in a foreign land? You get to return to the land of familiarity, the land of promise, the place of community, the place of blessing. And, and what about this this daughter, Ruth. This woman who has been given the grace to cling to you. This woman who has given the childlike faith to walk into the unknown. To give up her own home, her own God, her own family in, in order to follow a God. To be a part of a people that she knows is better. Right, Naomi's declaration to her Mother is one of the most beautiful and memorable and powerful. And it's a confession of faith that brings to mind the central covenant promise that God gives to his people I will be your God, and you will be my people. Ruth could have sat down and pointed. Naomi to all of these bits of God's grace that she was missing, to the fact that God was doing more than she could see. Maybe she did do that. But brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Ruth does for us this morning. Because not only is Ruth a picture of one's response to the gospel, right? A new allegiance a new kingdom, a new God, a new future. Not only will Ruth become this central figure in God's story in bringing about the Messiah Jesus. I mean, God is moving the pieces to make sure that a child will be born in Bethlehem. And Ruth is part of that. But Ruth is also a pointer to the gospel itself. Because we... We, we say that in His grace, Jesus has clung to us. Even when we were opposed, even when we tried to push Him away, Jesus pursued us and committed Himself to us. And it began on a night so long ago in Bethlehem, the place where they now are. Few people could see it, but Jesus, the Son of God, gave up the glories of heaven and came to earth to be born in a cattle stall in order that he might die, in order that he might give his life for you and for me. And it's because of that pursuing persistent, clinging love that we can trust that no matter what we're going through, there's always more than we can see. As God works all things for the glory of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, we are simply called to trust 
even in the unknown, even when things look grim, even when we're struggling. In 1968, two Air Force pilots died here in the Northwest when they flew straight into Mount Rainier. They flew into Mount Rainier because their vision was limited. They, they couldn't see, and instead of trusting the instruments that they had before them, those instruments that they knew to be true, that they had depended upon time and time again, they relied on the testimony of a mistaken air traffic controller who said that they were clear of the mountain. At times, brothers and sisters, the world and your circumstances are all telling you one thing. Don't listen. Don't get lost in your circumstances. Don't get lost in those voices. Don't despair. Jesus has come. His Spirit is with you. God is at work. He is emptying your hands in order to fill them with something better. There is always more than you can see. That's the promise of the Gospel. That's the promise of this passage. Trust Him. Run to Jesus. That's how we gain vision in the valley. I want to close with a simple prayer from a prayer book entitled The Valley of Vision. And it's the first prayer in this book. We've used these prayers a lot. Let me read it to you, or just a portion of it. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, though, Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that, the, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this imperfect servant who we can so easily relate to in the struggle of life, in the struggle of faith. And Father, we thank You for the pointers through the other character of our story, through Ruth, though imperfect herself, the pointers of something bigger and something better that You are accomplishing, something that, that can't be seen and yet is better 
than we could even imagine. Oh, Father, I pray for your people as they digest these words. May they be words of comfort. May they be words of hope. Give us grace, Father, to to cling to them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.